wow, this is really worn. There's stains on it. You know, a couple of the chairs are wobbly. And, uh, and they feel kind of awkward, you know. They didn't really notice it, but all these people come in, they just go, ugh, you know, they, uh, I'm kind of embarrassed about this. And they decide, I need to refurnish. And uh, th- that week they go to the store, and they, they don't really have the money to refurnish. So they charge it, or they take some money out of designated savings. And, uh, of course, their, their house looks nice. They feel better. But uh, then the, the credit, card, you know, credit card bill starts coming in. The pressure starts building. If they're married, there's stress between them and the spouse. Uh, they yell at the dog. And then they, they, you know, so where do they turn? I need more money. So they start looking at work, and they go, you know, I, I need more money. And they're not getting raises because maybe there's a downturn in, in their sector of the economy. And uh, they begin to be unhappy with their job, which they used to be happy with, relatively happy. And then uh, they begin to look for another job. And the, this little cycle goes on and on and on and on and on. And it's this cycle of, of discontent. It's this cycle where whatever we have is never cool enough. And it, at some point, you know, you look at it and you look at someone else's and theirs is bigger and shinier. Their cell phone. You know, I have the iPhone 1D here. <laughs> and I'm content with it as long as it works. But I have to admit, my son who works for Apple, he's got this shiny new cell phone that's like almost the size of a big screen TV. I'm not sure how he gets it in his pocket, but I look at that and all the stuff it does. You know, he, it talks to him. You know, it scratches his back at night. It's just... It does everything. And I'm thinking, wow, it'd be nice to have something like that. And this, this cycle of discontent is familiar to all of us. Because it might not, in your, in your case, it might not have been furniture. It might have been a house. It might have been a car. It might have been clothes. It might have been jewelry. You know, it might have been uh, you want, a, you want a, a, a different spouse than you have. Uh, I mean, some of this can be pretty significant in our life. And this discontent, you know, we, we, we think this just isn't making it for me. This isn't doing it for me. This isn't making me happy. But I'll be happy if I have the bigger version of this. Because this cell phone is the secret of happiness. At least that's what I hear on TV. I mean, all the people that are walking around this cell phone, <laughs> they're like floating through life. They're smiling all the time. I'm not smiling all the time. I, if I get that cell phone, I'll be happier. And it's not just the cell phone. It's lots of things, right? You feel that? Do you ever feel that? And it's not that there aren't products and things that will make our life a little easier, that will improve you know, our circumstances in certain ways. But what we're looking for is, is way deeper than that. But we make the mistake of letting that cycle of discontent spiral out of control, and we don't know what to do with it. Well, I want to talk about that today, and I want to talk about the secret of contentment. The secret of contentment. Now, in, in, in the letter of Paul to the Philippians, we're going to look there. If you, if you have a Bible with you, if you could uh, grab it and open it up. And there's Bibles under the chair seats in front of you. There's loaner Bibles. And Philippians 4, Philippians chapter 4. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> says, 
It's a full contact message today. <laughs> uh, Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Here's what Paul says. Uh, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, let's, let's pray for a minute as we look closer at this passage. Lord, uh, Paul said that you taught him how to be content, that there's a secret to it, and that, that the, the secret is in you. And we just ask you today to help us to uh, open our hearts up and, and be willing to look at this whole invitation that, that you're making to us, that, that you offer us contentment as, as a way of life. And we just pray that, that you help us to have ears to hear and to respond to what you might say to us today in Christ's name. Amen. So Paul says here, he learned the secret of, of contentment. It was something he learned. And this contentment, he said, helped him, in, helped him flourish in circumstances that were, let's just say, you know, less than ideal. And if you think of any kind of circumstances you found yourself in in life, Paul, Paul covered the gamut when he said, in lack and in plenty. So he basically said, and, and the, the Greek word there means destitution, that he was able to even be content in a circumstance of destitution, of hunger, of not having enough, and then of having more than enough. So he, he laid out this picture, and he says, it is absolutely possible to be content even in those circumstances, even in the circumstances that are less than ideal, as, as I said. So you've experienced, um, there, are, there are many of us in this room who we've experienced real difficulty, and some of you, maybe even destitution. Maybe you've looked at the bank account and there's no money in there. And there's a stack of bills. And you're getting phone calls from people who want you to pay those bills. And the pressure of that just gnaws at you. You can't sleep at night. And you feel it in, 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 this, in your gut, in your life. Your life is, you know, just gripped by it, right? Well, Paul said, I've been there. And I discovered this secret. And, and, he, and he basically said, the secret, and we're going to look at how he came to this sense of, of contentment. And essentially, uh, uh, the point is, the secret of contentment is trading our treasures for Christ and, f- and learning to find our real treasure in Christ. So the secret of contentment starts with trading the treasure you have in your life that's, in, in, in a given moment, you think is going to satisfy you. But in, in fact, it will not. Learning to trade that for Christ, and then learning as a lifestyle, especially in crucial moments, how to find your real treasure in Christ. Trading your treasure for Christ and finding your real treasure in Christ. So let's look at that. How do we trade a treasure for Christ? Well, uh, uh, just the chapter before this, Paul says, 
in Philippians 3, 7 and 8. He says, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, he says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have for whom for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. So he says, there was a time in my life where I thought certain things were extremely valuable because of what they delivered to me. And he said, but when I met Christ, I realized he's so much more valuable than all those things. And they're not bad things. But they were things that I thought were the ultimate thing. Because there's times in your life where you think this thing is the ultimate thing. And if I just have that, I'll get out of this place where I'm in want. And Paul said he found out the hard way. You can keep getting what your heart desires and never get what your heart desires. Because we're oftentimes really confused about what our heart really wants. And so Paul said, and, and very briefly here, and this whole letter, the Philippians, is a letter Paul wrote from prison. He was chained in a prison having been arrested just for preaching the gospel. And he was writing this letter to, some, uh, to a church that he had planted years before and encouraging them. And the, the theme of this letter is joy, which is ironic. How could someone write from prison where they've been unjustly condemned and write about joy? Where on earth can someone find that kind of resource in those kinds of circumstances? Well, that's what he's talking about here. He says it's really possible to have that. It's really possible to be in a circumstance that and by you know, anybody's viewpoint is terrible and have real joy in that circumstance. And he said, I learned this. The source of, of the joy that I'm talking to you about that you saw in me was it came from Christ. It came from having traded my treasure, the things that I thought were really important, for him. And so I want to illustrate this. Uh, there's a story. It's a, it's a short. I'm not going to use Paul. I'm going to use a, a story in the gospel. And uh, in Mark chapter 10, Mark says, uh, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. The, the young man, as he's kneeling before Jesus, looking up at him, Jesus, he says, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looks at him and it says here, he loved him. And that, We know that Jesus loved everybody, but... In this moment, this, the, the affection of God for this young man filled Christ, and he looked at him, and, and he loved him. And then he says this. He says, one thing you lack. Now, this young man was rich. This young man was a religious leader. This, he, had, he had privilege and place. He had uh, all the stuff he wanted, all the toys he wanted, influence. He's respected. But he ran to Jesus, and in and his desperation, he said, What must I do to flourish? 
And there's this anguish in him and this moment of honesty. And it's, you know, the, the passage right before this, Jesus is talking to the crowds and he says, unless you become like a child again, you, you can't experience the kingdom of God. And this young man comes in and by all accounts immediately, he doesn't care what people think of him. He runs to Jesus. He falls on his knees before Christ. And he says, you know, I've lost my way completely. I, I have, by all accounts, I'm, I have everything. I have it made, but I'm still empty. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And just to look at what happened here is here is a man, to, to use our, our sort of language, here's a man who had used his wealth to try to meet the deepest needs of his life. And our wealth or our privilege or anything that we have that we hold on to can give us some satisfaction because many of these things, they're good. It's not wrong to have more than you need. It's not wrong to have cars and jobs and prestige and titles and any of that. None of that is bad intrinsically. But what he had done is he had made a good thing the ultimate thing. And he'd probably cycled through all that he had in his life trying to find, if I just get this, I'll be happy. There's some happiness for a while, then it gets old. The the new car smell's gone. You know, a, a little chip here, a little dent there, and all of a sudden, gosh, it's not giving me what I need anymore. And Jesus saw this, and, and by, everybody else looked at him and thought, he doesn't lack anything. But Jesus saw what he really needed. And he says, you've got to let go of all this stuff. You've got to trade your treasures for me. Because what we do is, and this is the heart of why the, the longing, the, the most grievous kind of longing we can have is the longings of the heart. The longings for the things that God says that we're made to experience, but we're made to experience from Him, through Him first, that He has to be our ultimate source. What did He want? Well, we don't know exactly, but there are human longings, deep core longings that all of us have. We have longings for love. We have longings for security. We have longings to be understood and valued for who we are, for people to get us. We have longings for significance. We want our life to matter. We have longings for purpose. We want to know we're for something. We're made to make a difference in the world. And we want to know that we belong. I use a little hand as as a tool to remember those things. Love, security, understanding, purpose, significance, and belonging. When when those needs are met, you can be in want. Now, it doesn't mean that you, there isn't difficulty in that, but when you have your inner core longings satisfied regularly, consistently, when they're replenished, it's a game changer for everything else, right? Now, some of you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced this. And, and many of us as believers in, in Christ, we've had moments in our life where we experience this, but the struggle, the, the struggle we have is how do you sustain that? How do you carry that out? 
But you can't get there unless you're willing to trade as a way of life. You start the Christian life by saying, I'm letting go of any substitute that I use for God. I'm trading my treasure, this thing that's really important to me. To this man, it was his wealth. Because wealth is a really powerful God substitute. It is incredibly powerful. And the book of Proverbs, which is a book that's just full of wisdom, just like it just pours out into the hearts of anybody that will read it. The, the writer, Solon, well, he was one of the writers, he said, to the wealthy person, their wealth is like a high wall in their imagination. When you have wealth, you have security. And he was using an image in the ancient world where because of wars and, you know, and, and, and brigands and uh, robbers and, and all the vulnerabilities of the ancient world, they didn't have law enforcement the way we have now. They didn't have, you know, people weren't well armed. Uh, they didn't, you know, you, you couldn't go to a gun show back then and, and get a gun and bring it home. People were very vulnerable. And the rich had the ability to, to create estates and circumstances that protected them. But what the writer says was that the riches are a high wall in their imagination. Because the truth is, you can lose everything like that. I remember years ago seeing a man in the 1980s who was one of the, the big uh, financial gurus and, and a, a Wall Street guys in the 80s. And he got busted for insider trading. And I remember watching on TV uh, this man who everybody used to go to his office to get favors from him. He was like the financial godfather, you know. You see, you ever see the godfather where the guy asking for the favor and, and, and the godfather standing there and, and finally the guy bows down, you know, like, and, he, and he has to kiss his hand. It was kind of humiliating. Well, this man was like that. And I remember seeing this, this trial where he was, uh, he was convicted of all of these criminal acts. And he was stripped of everything. And he had a, he'd ha, he'd always worn, I always thought it was kind of a funky hairpiece. But in this trial, he didn't have his hairpiece on. He was just this broken man. In fact, he was weeping at the trial. And I saw it and I just felt terrible for the guy. Because his wealth had given him prestige. You know, it made him think that people really loved him. Gave him security. You know, it gave him a sense of purpose. And, and he probably was a gifted person in, in res- with respect to handling money. But he had took something that was good and made it the ultimate thing. And then it wrecked his life. And so Jesus wants to rescue us from that and say, I want you to enjoy all these good things in their time and in their proper place. But I want you to have the real source of satisfaction in me first. I will be the source of all those things when you can't get them anywhere else. But you can't have this relationship with me unless you're willing to trade your treasure for me. Unless you're willing to stop depending on anything except me. And in Old Testament terms, that was called, you have to repent of your idols. Idolatry is the, is the heart of this whole problem. That's the way the Old Testament described it. So since we don't have little rooms in our homes with little wooden and metal and stone manufactured gods that we worship and depend on, we just worship and depend on our home. Or we just worship and depend on our job. 
or anything else, or a relationship, or children, or whatever, pleasure. And so Jesus says, give those things up. And so this rich young ruler, he went away sad. And it's such a contrast when you read the Gospels, is people, when they came to Jesus, he drew this line in the sand, and he said, everything you want is right here in front of you. And the whole life that you're meant to experience will open up for you if you will surrender everything to me. And the man had the right idea. Remember, he ran up and he got on his knees before Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do? And Jesus was saying, It's not what you do. You have to let go of this stuff and you have to trust me and begin to follow me. And you will find the life that you're longing for, the, the, the life that's driven you to this point where you're kneeling before me in public, humiliating yourself, because people of prestige didn't do that in that day and time. But then he looked at it and he weighed, as he's on his knees, sort of in his mind, he weighed, I don't really believe that Jesus can deliver all that for me. I don't think you can do that, Jesus. I think my wealth is the only refuge I have. It's the only thing that I can depend on. And it, what, what a tragic decision. Now, we don't know later he reconsidered it. We don't know that. But at that moment, he made this tragic decision to say, yeah, I know I've just run up here because I'm totally disillusioned with the life I have. But, wow, I still think it's better than what you're offering me. Because if I don't have this money and this stuff, I can't imagine a world where I can't have control, where I can't, dictate the terms of things, where I'm not at the top. And you're asking me to sell everything and be at the bottom. And Jesus is just saying yes. And that's one of the things about trading our treasure for Christ is we have to be willing to take that risk. And we will make that little calculation in our minds. Maybe you're making it right now. You're going, you know, I've heard this story before. I've heard this spiel before from you, John, or other people and I've just always been like that guy. I, I measure it and I go, no, I'm not letting go of it. I want to hold on to this relationship I have. Because that will give me everything I need. And you don't realize you're on your knees before Christ because you're disillusioned with that relationship. But there's this, there's this confusion that comes over us. And the enemy works in our hearts and minds. And, the lo- and, and our heart lies to us. Your heart lies to you. Because a bird in a hand, even though it's dead and stinking, is worth two wonderful songbirds in the bush who are a matched pair, who will produce eggs, and you will start your own uh, cottage economy of selling those birds all over the world. You will, you will be the CEO of Bird Co. You will be on the, the cover of Money Magazine. But you got to drop that stinking dead bird in your hand. But you're going, oh, no. You want my stinking dead bird. That's what we're doing when we stand before Jesus, when he draws us to that place. And we go, yes, I do want what you have. But then we start thinking about it. No, I don't. Why don't you let go of it? I'm going to give you a chance to do that later today. But if you've already done that, you've gone, John, I've gone through that, you know. Uh, I want to show you how to find your treasure, your real treasure in Christ, those core longings. Because some of you have heard this before and go, I, I, I buy into that, John. But I don't know how to do that on a consistent basis. How do I connect with Christ when I'm in that crisis 
where something that I, you know, these, this deep longing in my heart is not being met. And I want to tell you, you cannot live without those longings being replenished constantly. You can't live without love. You can't live without security. You can't live without being understood. You can't live without purpose and significance and belonging. You cannot live without those things. Not very long, and, and certainly not well. So the next point, I want you to look at this. In Philippians 4, which is where we were, Paul says, don't be anxious. Philippians 4, 6, he says, don't be anxious or don't worry about anything. But in everything, in other words, when you're in those moments where you're gripped by worry and anxiety, in those moments, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request, your need to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the word anxious there, worry, means to... Is that someone doing a bird thing for me here? <laughs> that, that, that word is bird code. It's getting launched here today. Uh, that word worry means to give thought to. Have you ever given thought to something? Like some concern has preoccupied you. In other words, let, let's, let's, you, let's call it what it is today. Have you ever lost sleep over something? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Mel. There you go. We got one person here that's lost sleep over it. The rest of you are just waiting for me to be finished. Okay. <laughs> Tick tock. Uh, Paul said three things there. I want to show you this and then show you how Jesus did it. And then we're just going to close. Paul said, you need to recognize when you're feeling anxiety, when your mind is, is concerned about something, there's a need under that need. You're just preoccupied with the immediate need, but the most important thing is the need that's under that need. And that's what takes a little bit of help. And it, it doesn't often just immediately present itself to you. What is my real need? The need is I've got to pay this bill. The need is I've got to do whatever. But there's a need underneath that that is one of these longings of your heart that that is the need that you're really preoccupied with. Because most people know, I think I can sort this late bill or this money crunch or this relational thing out. But what that is really tied to is this deep thing in your heart that you know that's what makes my life work. When that's satisfied, this thing threatens it. This thing threatens the satisfaction of that, and I can't live without it. But most of the time, we're just cued into the surface level anxiety, worry. And so Jesus, uh, all over it, says, don't worry, right? And now I say that, and some of you start going, well, now I'm worried about worrying. <laughs> now I'm worried that I'm worried about worrying. This is like a bad cycle that you're, you've kicked into. Well, you've got to stop and just say, what is that about? Now, sometimes you might need spiritual direction. You might need someone's help to, to sit and just be a sounding board for you and, and to pray and sort that out because we're, you're supposed to then take that to the Lord and say, Jesus, this is what I need. See, that young man should have said, Jesus, what I need is security. The world is an insecure place. My family, I know what it's like to, to grow up in a family that's very, very deprived. And I don't ever want to experience that again. 
And I've worked really hard to get to this place, and I've been fortunate, and I've, I've amassed all this wealth, and you want me to let go of it? Then I'll feel all that again, and I'll be in that place of deprivation again. And I'm not going back there. But we don't realize Jesus can take care of us no matter what. He's the source of all of that. We didn't just make that happen. But we lose sight of that. And we realize we want that security. That's what our hearts need. We need security. But he offers it in a a hundred different ways. And then we have to not only bring that to him, then we have to wait on him. Because what he says is, with prayer and supplication, bring your request to God, and the peace of God will guard your heart. So he's saying, eventually, the peace of God will come to you. The security that you need, the sense of it, that you can't get from that situation you're in, which is causing the worry, God will give it to you, which will change the situation for you. But there is implied in this a delay. And this is the challenge that we face. I want you to see it. And now, I'm going to go to the, to the story of Jesus being tempted, and I'll, I'll show you how this works. And then we're going to close. Jesus was led by the Spirit after he was baptized into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You know, if we skip lunch, we're like, we think we're, we're identifying with Jesus in the desert, right? He was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. You get, you begin to starve at that point. You're going to die if you don't get food. It's a real crisis. It, I mean, it's not just an imagined crisis. It's a real crisis. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, he's out in the desert, tell these stones to become bread. There's times where I fast, I fast regularly. I've been on a long fast before, and I'm telling you, I would have been tempted in that moment if I could have done it to turn you know, objects around me into bread. Because you can be hungry enough where you can't imagine not having something to eat soon. Jesus is 40 days. He's starving. His body is beginning to consume itself. And he could turn those stones into bread. He was the son of God. But here's what he said. A lot of us would have said, yep, rye, pumpernickel, poppy, French, butter. We would have just been, we would have had our own little bakery right there. Jesus said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he said, no, I'm not going to take the bait and eat the false substitute. I mean, eat the substitute bread. He said, the bread I need comes from my father. He was in this posture of waiting and saying, God, what I need comes from you. And I'm not letting go of you until you give it to me. Until that peace comes from you, then I can eat. You see, then I can eat. When you have that priority established in your life, then you can enjoy. Then you can pursue those things because you're not pursuing them as God substitutes. You You can go to the top of your industry if Jesus is at the top of your heart. But that chase to the top is is vain. And it will not satisfy you. 
you will be frustrated if, if you don't get this. And so when you feel that need, you have to recognize what's the need underneath it. Jesus recognized, I have a greater need than this need to be fulfilled. And he was pursuing his father's face to meet that need. And he told the father what the need was, and then he waited. And you have to sit with the, the, the longing in your heart before God. And sometimes you have to stiff arm and push away the tempter as he says, Stop doing this. Take the easier route. Go and do this. Because you need this satisfaction now. You need it now. You can't take it if you don't get it now. And you feel that pain. It just gnaws at you and eats you. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been in this place where you're trying to do the right thing? But you know, the mistake we make at that point is we just go willpower. I'm just going to white knuckle it through this. I'm just going to say no to it. No. But you can see the, the appetite will grow. Jesus' hunger was growing and growing and growing and growing. But he was looking to the Father. He wasn't just white-knuckling it and saying, I'm not going to do this bad thing or this good thing or this wrong thing. I'm going to cry out to you, God. And if you don't give it to me and I crash and burn, it's on you. And that's the kind of faith you see in Scripture that God looks for. It says... In 2 Chronicles, there was a king who was being tested by this pressure, and he failed. And a prophet came to him and said, The eyes of the Lord are looking across the earth for someone whose heart is completely his, to show himself strong in their behalf. And what it was is the king was trusting God and trusting God and trusting God, and then he didn't. And then he went and he made an alliance with another kingdom, and subjected himself to them instead of the Lord. Because he couldn't stay in that place in the pain and risk and feel it and endure it. But if you stay in that place, the peace of God will come. It always comes. But it usually comes way later than you want. I'm just, this is the fine print. I'm just telling you right now. Because you're going to go home and think, I'm going to try this. And you're going to wait, and it's going to hurt. And you're going to wait, and it's going to hurt more. And you're going to wait. And the, and the cry in your heart's coming up. And, but eventually, your father is going to hear you. And this is what I want to close with today. Is uh, Shanna still out there somewhere? Come up. I want you to just play for a second. So, do you remember times where you've been hungry in this, in this way that I'm describing for these deep needs of your heart? And you've been hungry, and those... Needs are not being satisfied. And you've chosen to turn to a substitute. And now you recognize that it didn't work then. It's not going to work now. But what the Lord's trying to do is he's trying to draw you today to come to him like that rich young man did. That Jesus loved him. He saw what was in the guy's heart. He saw the guy was going to crash and burn right there in front of everybody. But he still loved him. And I I think, this is my theology, that there was another time where this opportunity came around again. Maybe you're just at a place in your life, and it may not be the deepest, most desperate crisis you've ever been in, but you feel it in your life right now. You feel this need. And maybe something I've said today has helped you to see that that's, that's a need, but that you really have a deeper and greater need. 
And Jesus is inviting you, would you come before me and would you let go of that treasure that you hold on to, that whatever that substitute is, and find real treasure in me today? Because some of you have done that before, but you've gotten off track. And you just lost your way in having that kind of, of walk with Christ. And he's standing there looking at you, not with anger, not with judgment in his eyes and on his face, but just with tenderness and love. And he's saying, I made you to know what it's like to be deeply, deeply loved and to be understood and to have a purpose in your life and, and, to, and to know that your life matters and to, and to connect and belong and to feel secure. But all of that begins with me. And I just want to ask you this morning, hey, if our prayer team could come up front, like small group leaders and folks to help us pray for people. You guys could just make your way up here. Like now. We want to be in this together, okay? You know, the whole Christian life is, is a huge challenge. Trying to follow Jesus in any time and any place is difficult. And I think America might be, uh, with all of our blessings, the hardest place in the world to really be a committed Christian. Because the cost of following Christ here is different. And a lot of things that we're in tune with as Americans and Westerners, uh, we're more like that rich young man than we think. And all that we have is, is a terrible substitute. It's, a, it's an empty substitute for Jesus. And We're in this series, Making Jesus Real. But for you to make him real to others, he's got to be continually real to you and in your life. And the only way he becomes real is through this painful process. Often, not always, but often painful process where we let go of stuff. We we realize I've got a treasure that I'm depending on too much. He doesn't call everyone to sell everything they have. But he, he, he does ask you to let go of that treasure and come and trade it for me. And so there's some of you here today that need to do that before you leave. And it's a step of faith to do that. And, and at the heart of the challenge is, is, is your pride at people knowing that that's going on inside you. But the, the church is this place where we're all broken people who Jesus is making whole. All of us, all of us, all of us. There's only two of us up on the stage, but us two, all of you. And the enemy will keep you, and your pride will keep you from God's grace if you let that stop you. Because what I want to ask you to do is, as we close here in prayer, is I want you to, if, if you know that Jesus is drawing you and you need those things, those, those, those core longings are uh, an unmet, some of them, one or more of them are unmet in your life, and you realize this is the, the root of it. I want you to come up here and just tell one of us, you know, could you pray for me? And, and say, what is, I want to let go of this, and I want to trade it for Christ. And would you pray with me that I could, I could follow through on that? That I wouldn't get up and go away sad and empty and unfulfilled and get right back into the cycle of discontent again. That that's, that's what Jesus has for us. It's just, it's a, and the reason why Philippians is known as the letter of joy is when we really repent, we always find joy. If we turn from what God's best for us, we, we are 
inevitably sad. And Paul was exhibiting that in, in his life and in his letter and what he was trying to form in these believers. And God's trying to form that in you. But metanoia, repentance, is what leads to joy. And so I just encourage you, the, the stinking pride in your heart dies slowly. And it's like back in the day when we used to have to, to kill snakes when I grew up in Texas. We would do, I remember coming into my, my, uh, my our washroom, like our, where we have our washer and dryer, and there was this huge copperhead coiled up in it. I opened, opened the little French doors. Ah! Hold it. Look at because I know what a copper it looks like. Oh my, how did they even get in here? This is in the house. Now I remember taking the broom handle and just smashing that thing, just hitting it over and over. It's just crawling around, it's trying to get under the washers. I'm grabbing it, pulling it out, and hitting it, you know. And it took me so long to kill this thing. I was just a kid, you have to understand. That snake is like your pride. And you may feel like, I beat that thing before. Why do I have to beat it again today? Because it's still alive in you. And you got to challenge it today. So if you're there, come up here before you go, okay? Secondly, there's a few people here. We want to pray for you. I think there's somebody here. This is a, like a sports-sounding injury, but you have a pulled groin, okay? And I know it has something to do with your hamstrings, the back of your legs. And there's also somebody here. You've got uh, sciatica, sciatic pain from your back down your right leg. Okay, these are two separate things. There's somebody here, you've got uh, like some blockage in a bile duct. Okay, I don't even know what that is. But you, if you have that, it's probably, you know, something you're getting treatment for. Or it's painful. We want to pray for you. And then last, there's somebody here that has pressure, maybe more than one person. You've got pressure, uh, uh, the buildup of fluid around your heart, and it causes you problems. And maybe you're having a problem with it now. We like to pray for you. And if you have any other kind of need like that or others, we, we really like to pray for you before you leave. So I want you to stand with me and we'll pray and uh, invite you to guys up and then you can split anytime you want to. Lord, we uh, together, we just thank you for your word and uh, ask that your spirit would come now and engage us that, that the love that we are longing for would just begin to pour from you into our, our empty hearts and our, our longing hearts. And that, Lord, that young man had the courage to kneel before you, to run up before you in public and make a spectacle of himself. And, and you offered him everything. We pray that you'd help us not to be like him in saying no. Jesus, you, you said yes to the Father, to the cross, and we pray that you'd form that, that heart of, of humility and repentance in us. And meet us this morning, Lord. Touch each person that's here. Even begin to p- touch people's bodies right now. Lord, where people have injuries and pain and where they carry uh, fatigue in their bodies, Lord. There's people here that have incredible stress that's just built up in their bodies. I pray right now, in the name of Jesus, that, that God's hand would begin to touch you. And that you would begin to experience that stress draining out of your body, even as you stand there right now. That it would just begin to drain out of you. I bless you that it would begin to drain out of your body. The pressure would leave your head and your 
neck and your shoulders and your back and your hips and legs and hands and arms and feet and toes in Jesus' name right now. And that the peace of God would fill